How we doing, everyone? And welcome to the first episode of the How We Doing podcast, hosted by me, Eric Lee. I never thought I would ever have the chance to have a sports podcast to talk to you people about. So this is honestly crazy. I mean, I remember back in high school when me and my friend would go to our English class and we would be sent to the computer lab to do an assignment from him. Shout out Mr. Joyce. But yeah, we would just not do the assignment at all. Sorry about that. But um, we would just talk sports all day and it honestly became a running joke every time we would be sent to the computer lab. Just We would just talk sports, whether it was Patriots, Bruins, or anything. We would just do that. So This is a fun moment for me because I just can't believe that this has actually happened. Um, fun fact about how this podcast name came together, how we doing. My old soccer coach texted one day in the group chat, Howie, the name Howie. And my other coach responded, Howie with a question mark, and he was like, who's Howie? I mean, he thought we forgot a player named Howie on the team. Right away, he responds with the worst dad joke I've ever heard of Howie doing, and the, my other coach was like, oh my god, he got me. And he told that the next day at practice, and we all just started dying laughing, and it just became a running joke with this coach. I mean, every time he would show up at practice, he'd be like, how we doing? And that just became the running joke. I mean, when I at the banquet I said it to him so I mean thanks to him because you just came up with my podcast name so I appreciate that but yeah anyways so let's get talking sports baby so I like to get to talk about our first segment and we're going to be having a football talk so let's talk about the New England Patriots' big road win against Los Angeles Chargers, 24-27. Pats win by three. And honestly, this was the Patriots' best win of the season in a long time, especially to have it on the road. Just made it 10 times better than it is, 10 times better than that Jets win. I mean, the Jets, that Jets win two Sundays ago was just a good morale booster for the team. I think they really needed a good win under their belt to feel good about themselves. And I think that translated into well, this game against the Chargers, and it's just an all-around good win for the Patriots. But one thing I do want to depict is that the offense was just not at its highest as it usually is. And this offense came in with a good game against the Jets, and with the Chargers having a bad run defense, they've given up five to six yards per carry, per run. You expect the Patriots to run the ball more than they did on that game. I mean, when you have Damian Harris who's been really good these past two weeks running the ball. They just didn't run enough for him, and this is why it reflected bad on Mac Jones. I don't think Mac had a good game against the Chargers. I mean, I think that's one of his worst games of the season, and it's hard to say because the kid's been playing lights out this past season. And to have that type of game where he goes 6 of 9 to start off the game, and then after that he goes 2 for 13 with 7 overthrows during that period. He had 8 overthrows in total. It just it just wasn't a good outing for Mac, and I mean he said it himself. I mean he didn't have the best day at all, but he's happy that you know the team won the game for him. So 
it's it's a little bit concerning to see that. I mean, I didn't like Josh McDaniels' game planning during one of the drives. Um, Mac had a good throw to Hunter Henry for about 20 yards. That got him to first goal territory. And they throw a pass for like four or five times, and it was just absolutely questionable. They had a chance, two chances actually, on the one-yard line. And at that point, you would think just quarterback sneak it with Mac or just give the ball off to Damien Harris. I mean, he already did it before for the first drive to score the touchdown. Why don't you do it again? And it seemed like they forced the ball in one of those plays to Jacoby Myers. And God, I love Jacoby Myers, but can we not force a touchdown to the guy? I know he hasn't gotten a touchdown in the three seasons he's been in the league, but don't force it to him. I mean, the CBS broadcasting absolutely outlined it perfectly about the route he was doing. And the Chargers picked it up and Mac just overthrew it so he didn't turn the ball over. But that just seemed like a wasted opportunity for points on the board. And there's a lot of chances where the Pats would just, instead of running the ball with Damian Harris, Mac Jones would just throw the ball and either he missed his target by a few yards or just overthrow them. So it was really questionable to see that from the Patriots when you have a good run game going on. And I think Mac Jones didn't have the best first half of his career there. Not a good first half against the Chargers. I mean, he looked a little flustered, I guess. He just didn't look right. He looked better in the second half. I'll give Matt credit. He led a good game-winning field goal drive to give the Patriots a double-digit lead against the Chargers. So I'll give Matt credit there, but, you know, it just wasn't his best game. And it's going to be really interesting to see how he does against that Panthers defense in their next game against Carolina. And that Panthers defense pressures the quarterback. They will come after the quarterback. And it's good that the offensive line has played better as of late. I thought they had a decent game. A few holding penalties. We'll get on to that later. But it's going to be a big test for that offensive line against a good Panthers pass rush. And let's not forget about the Panthers secondary. They acquired C.J. Henderson from the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. He's a good young corner. They also have a former, another former Jacksonville Jaguar in A.J. Bouye. He's not been as good as he was when he was in Jacksonville, but he's still a decent corner. And let's not forget who's their number one corner now. Yeah, you remember him? Stephon Gilmore, the guy that got traded for a six-round pick this year. Number one corner, Stephon Gilmore, who, by the way, locked down Kyle Pitts on the Falcons this past week. So... Mac's gonna have Max gonna have a tough time trying to find his targets, and you know it might be a big running game for Damian Harris again, but Max's gonna have to settle down, just calm down, be you. You've known how to throw the football well this past season. Just keep doing what he does best. Deep breaths, Mac. We saw it on the sideline before. Deep breaths. So we're going to go into our first segment of yay or nay. Yay or nay is where we highlight the three good players that did well this past game and the three bad players who did bad in this game. So our first yay has to be Adrian Phillips. Two key interceptions made by him. Got a pick six on the second interception. That was great covering, great read by him. I don't know where Justin Herbert was trying to throw that ball to. He was looking for Jared Cook, the tight end, but... That was a great play by Phillips, and to do it against your former team, I think he was happy about doing that. Our second yay, it's got to be Damian Harris. Another good running game from him. That's two straight weeks where he gets into the end zone. He looked good, and it looks like those fumble issues are behind him, knock on wood, but he's looked really good. He's recovered well, and I think it's because we have a better offensive line in front of him now. He doesn't have to go with 
Haran or Durant. He doesn't have to go with those people anymore. It's a solid offensive line that the Pat's going on right now, so it looks really good. And our third yay, it's got to be Nick Folk. I know. Why am I giving the kicker a third yay spot? Well, the kicker's actually done really well this past year. He's 20 for 21 on field goals. He's only missed one, which was in the rain against Tampa. So he's been really consistent. And when the Patriots can't get into the end zone for a touchdown, Folk's been really reliable at the field goal kicking spot. So there's your three yays. Here comes the fun part, I would say, three nays, where we can just talk about how bad players were. It's probably the best part of the show, honestly. And our first nay is going to be Dante Hightower. And Dante Hightower is a player that we all thought coming back this year after he didn't play last year because of COVID. Um, we thought he would instill some leadership in the linebacking area. And it's just he's just looked really slow this season. And there's one play in particular, that big 70-yard run the Chargers got from Jackson, I think. Yeah, the replay didn't show him really well, didn't reflect him really well. He just looked stuck in the mud in that play. And then Jackson just literally just jukes past him, gets into the Patriots territory, gets tackled. But Dante Hightower just not has looked his best at all this season. And it's really hard to say because the Patriots don't really have any other good young linebackers in that area where Hightower plays. Of course, they have Jawan Bentley, but Bentley has his struggle sometimes. It just, to have Hightower struggle, it's not good for this defense, especially at the linebacking area. We'll go to our second nay, and it's got to be Mac Jones. I mean, it wasn't his best game. We know that. He knows that. Hopefully, he can improve against Carolina. You know, there's just a few miscommunications, especially with him and Nelson Aguilar. They're a little bit off. They had a good first pass for that big yard game in the first drive of the series. But Mac just needs to calm down a little bit, stay calm, like I've been saying, and he'll probably have a better game, hopefully, next Sunday. Our third nay, it's going to be Kendrick Bourne. I mean, that fumble absolutely cost them some momentum. And we're lucky the Chargers only scored three points off of that turnover. But I know he's fighting for yards, but you got to secure the ball. That's not his first fumble. That's his second fumble. And, you know, it's just he's been so good. He was trending the right way these past few games. And to have that mishap happen to him, it's just not good. And hopefully he'll turn it around next game because I like Kendrick Bourne. He's been really good in the slot. That fumble almost cost him the game. And if we look back on it and the Patriots lost this game, that's on him. So there's your three yays and nays. But if, as we look on to Carolina and we see where this team is now, 4-4, four and four, first time being 500 in a long time, and this is a better feeling when they were first 500 in the season when they were 1-1 one one going against the Saints. This 500 feels better. Two good wins, one against the Jets, so maybe don't count it as a win, but it's a win. So, But the Chargers are a real legit team. And the win against that team who came off the bye, and, you know, I was really scared because they came off the bye after a struggling loss against the Baltimore Ravens. You know, Herbert looked absolutely not Justin Herbert this season, and you thought he was going to come back dealing, but he just didn't. And credit to the Patriots' defensive line. I mean, this D-line has gotten better every week, and I think you have to thank Matt Judon for that. Matt Judon has been absolutely getting pressure on every single quarterback and he's been the guy that's actually been worth his money this year as one of the Patriots offseason signings. So Matt Judens has added so much pressure to quarterback, and it's actually led to teams to game plan how to stop Matt Judon, and 
whether you put two offensive linemen on him or one big guy against him, I mean, Judon just has his power and this absolute athleticism that just that no Patriots pass rushers have had as of late. So Matt Judon's been great. Um, I'd like to highlight Christian Barmore, the rookie defensive lineman the Pats picked this year in the draft in the second round. He's been absolutely killing it at the D-tackle position. And we looked last year, the Patriots struggled at defensive line. They didn't really have a good impact defensive tackle besides Lawrence Guy. And to have Christian Barmore added to this team, getting more reps per week, he's looked absolutely fantastic. And Barmore needs to be a guy that Bill puts out more than Davin Godchow. Godchow got paid to come here. And to have Barmore outperform him, Barmore needs to be out there more. I think he's another guy who actually frees Judon to get more pressure on the quarterback. He's got the athleticism. He's got the great pop time to come up and go up against the center. So that's a great job by Christian Barmore. And I'll give credit to the secondary. This is a secondary who's lost a lot of people at the cornerback position. Obviously, I already stated that they lost Stephon Gilmore. And they just lost Jonathan Jones last week to an injury. So... Big step-up game for Miles Bryant, who filled in at the Jonathan Jones slot cornerback slot. I thought the kid played good, and he he had a good game. You know, he did well guarding the Chargers' slot receiver, but I thought it was a good game for him. And, you know, J.C. Jackson had a decent game. I thought Jalen Mills had a mad game. I mean, it was a better game than the Cowboys game, I guess, but, you know, Jalen Mills has been really terrible this season, so... You know, just a good game for the Patriots secondary, though, and they're going to have to be good for the against Carolina. And speaking about Carolina, looking on to that game, it's a big game for the Patriots to go above 500 for the first time this year. I mean, this is a team that hasn't really performed to where we thought they would be with the money they spent. And to be 4-4 four and four again is just a good feeling because we actually think playoffs could happen. I mean, two weeks ago against the Cowboys in a devastating loss, 2-4 and four sitting there, you didn't think the Patriots were ever going to make the playoffs. And in my mind, I thought, can we just get back to 500 first and then we'll talk about the playoffs? Because this team has definitely lost some close games due to turnovers or due to decision-making from the coaching staff. But if they beat Carolina, they're 5-4, and four, and they're on the right path to get to sneak in as a 7th seed, maybe even 6th seed, or hell, they could even challenge for the division. I don't think so because I think the Bills are particularly better than the Patriots right now. We'll see when they play them later on in the season. But this Carolina game could really make or break the Patriots season about if it ends in a positive note or ends in a down note because if they lose, they're back to 4-5, and five, and it's just that roller coaster of up, down, up, down. Are they going to win this game? Or are they going to lose this game? So it's a big game. And the Panthers do have some key injuries. Christian McCaffrey, their key running back, who's been their re- big offensive star. It's questionable if he's going to play. We don't know if he's going to play. And Sam Darnold, their quarterback, he's got concussion problems. So it's a big question on he'll play. Even if he does play, I think the Patriots should understand what Sam Darnold is as he was the former Jets quarterback. So the Patriots should know how to stop Sam Darnold. I mean, just get him flustered with pressure. I think Matt Judon should have a big game no matter who's the quarterback again for Carolina on Sunday. So it's a big game for the Patriots to finally show that they are a playoff team and that we should look at them as a playoff team.
as we move on from football. We're going to talk about the little Celtics and Bruins. We're going to start with the Bruins because I kind of like hockey more than basketball right now at the moment. So, And it's a decent start for the Bruins at 4-3. Uh, and three. I mean, they haven't played their best hockey yet. They haven't played their worst hockey yet. It's hard to go up against the two best teams going on with the Carolina Hurricanes and the Florida Panthers. They lost two of three to them. But they can't, they're coming off a good win, shootout win, off the Panthers, who were undefeated at the time. They're not anymore. Suck on that one. But, yeah, it's just, it's questionable where we're going to see this Bruins team. Obviously, the new goalies in town, Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman. Um, I like the two. They haven't played particularly at their best. They're, they've had strides. They had periods where they looked really good. But it's, it's a question mark because, you know, they've allowed some fluky goals. And it's just the big elephant in the room should Tuka Rask come back and whenever he recovers from that injury in January or February or whenever he's coming back. I, for one, I do not want him here ever again. I hope he doesn't even come back to the Bruins. I hope the Bruins don't even discuss that Tuka Rask comes back because I am done with the Tuka Rask. I am part of the Tuka Rask hate club because I am just done with Tuka Rask. I mean, if we looked at the past playoff experiences for the Bruins, I think the key thing was when the Bruins were back in the Stanley Cup and Rask was on fire until the Stanley Cup final came along against the Blues and he absolutely pooped himself because that's what Tuca does best. He just lets down the team. So that's why I'm done with Tuca. I want to see how Linus Allmark does. I mean, he's making a lot of damn money to be the number one goalie or quote-unquote the number one goalie. I don't really know who's the number one goalie, honestly. I don't even think Bruce Cassidy knows who the number one goalie is. But to have two good, decent young guys in Allmark and Swayman, the Bruins should be good at the goalie position in the future. Whether it's Swayman who's number one or Allmark number one, that's a decent goalie tandem, and they should be set for that. And if we look at the new lines, I like the additions that the Bruins made this offseason on the forwards. I think Nick Foligno, Eric Halla, and Tomas Nosek, those are good big body positions that will help for their third and fourth lines who've absolutely struggled these past two seasons. Obviously, David Krejci's not here anymore. Charlie Coyle has now moved up to the second line with Taylor Hall and Craig Smith. And I think that's helped Coyle a little bit. I mean, to have two good wingers on his left and right should improve his game. I mean, he's looked better as of late. He got the game-winning shootout goal against Florida. So hopefully get him rolling. Jake DeBrusque, who was a guy who struggled these past two seasons, he's looked better as of late. If DeBrusque goes on fire this season, I mean, that's a good thing. You finally got DeBrusque going again. Um, There's a big question about the first line, though. The first line got split up in that Florida game. Pasternak moved down to the second line, and Craig Smith got moved up to the first line to play with Bergeron and Marchand. And it's really hard to think that the perfection line is not perfect anymore and they've looked good on the power play but it's just a little bit off sync maybe maybe a little bit too much passing I think they should shoot the puck more and that's a thing that the Bruins should do more shoot the puck but I just hope that they get it together I mean there's they've looked like they've got some good results and hopefully they'll improve slowly it's, it's still the beginning of the year so it's too hard to tell if the Bruins are out or they're in on the playoff they should be a playoff bound team in my opinion um, I don't know if that's number in first in the Atlantic, but they should be at least a solid third team. Maybe sneak into the wild card. I mean, they do play in a tough division. They got Florida back in their division now. Tampa's back in their division now. Montreal's back, but they've struggled as of late. They didn't have a good year. 
Obviously, Toronto is a big question mark, but you never know with the Maple Leafs. You know, I, I would hate to be a Maple Leafs fan because, you know, it just ends in disappointed every year. So I'm glad I'm not. Sucks to be you if you're a Maple Leafs fan. Sorry. But, yeah, let's move on to the other team that plays in the Garden. And they've absolutely disappointed my expectations of the Boston Celtics, who are 2-5 and five to start the season. Um, I like saying... It's a new coach, but same team. Nothing's changed for the Boston Celtics. Obviously, the biggest change, Ime Udoka is their new coach. Brad Stevens is not the coach anymore. He's up filling in as the GM, quote-unquote. But this Celtics team has not looked any different from the Celtics teams we saw last year or the year before. It's still dominated by egos, particularly by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who just don't want to pass the ball to anyone they just want to take them themselves and I do like the pieces they've added I mean I like Josh Richardson I think he's good defensively Schroeder yeah you can pull all the jokes about him turning down a big sum of money but he's playing on cheap money right now so hopefully you get the best out of him um Al Horford's back that's great hopefully he can instill some leadership in that locker room it doesn't look like he has right now because it just looks like a lot of butting heads right now and after a horrible loss to the Chicago Bulls, which the Celtics absolutely blew that game, they led by 14 in the fourth quarter, they actually lost by 14 at the end of the game. I mean, I don't know how you do that, but that was just a big collapse by the Boston Celtics. But should we even be surprised? Because that's nothing new. And i like to address Marcus Smart's comments after the game saying, every team knows we're going to Jason and Jalen. Every team is programmed and studied to stop Jason and Jalen. And obviously, Tatum and Brown are the two big stars of the Celtics. But for Marcus Smart to say that, it's pretty hypocritical because, dude, you're pretty selfish too. I mean, you're not Steph Curry from 30 feet behind the three-point line, and you're not making that, Marcus. I mean, you might make it once, but Marcus, most of the time, you're just clanking it off the backboard. So just, you can't talk that. I think that's the wrong person to send that message. Should that message be sent to Brown and Tatum? Absolutely. I mean, Tatum should be the number one guy in Boston, and he thinks that, but Brown also thinks that too, and Marcus also thinks that too. So when you have three egotistical players who think they're the main guy on the team, it just doesn't work right now. And I thought Ime Udoka was brought here to fix that situation. It seems like he hasn't. Maybe it's because it's first time being a big head coach of the team now. Maybe it's more responsibilities than he thought. But he needs to get to either Tatum or Brown, or at least one of them, to get to straight, like, listen, you got to be more of a team player. And Marcus Smart needs to understand that too. And I know Marcus' intentions are right. This is the same guy who also said that to Jalen Brown, though, in the bubble. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, chairs were thrown during that period. I don't know if you remember that in the bubble when they were losing against Miami. Yeah, so I don't think Marcus Smart is the right guy to say that statement because, Marcus, you're part of the problem too. But it just it's just really disappointing to see a Celtics team that we all thought were going to be at least a 4 for 5th seed and they're cl- closer to the bottom of the league and tanking for a number one pick than being playoff bound. And... I think it has to start with Tatum and Brown gelling together as players. I think off the court, I think Brown and Tatum respect one another, and they have a good friendship. But on the court, 
two egos clashing and Tatum needs to do more of being a leader just competing at a higher level stop like complaining to the refs I've hated you for doing that every single game you did it so much last season that I just gave up on this team and you're doing it again this year and I absolutely want to throw myself off the window because you just keep doing it constantly um Jason has great points per game he should have a great moaning to the refs per game as well because he does that constantly. And for Brown, it's just these up and down periods of you can score 30 points and then you come back with 11. Brown needs to find that consistency and he also should think, you're the second man on the Celtics, all right? I'm sorry to tell you it, but you are the second best player on the Celtics. Tatum is the star man you got to settle into your second man role. And I just don't know if Jalen Brown can handle that, which leads to the question, do we need to get rid of one of these players? And I just, you just can't do that because I don't know what kind of return you're going to get for Jalen Brown. Obviously, it's the rumored of trading Jalen Brown to Washington for Bradley Beal, reunite Tatum with his best friend Beal. But I just, I just hope they can put their differences away. And it goes for Marcus Smart too. I mean, Marcus says that, Jason and Jalen should pass the ball more. Um, Marcus, you didn't have a single assist in that Chicago game. So, Marcus, you didn't pass the ball either. And if you did, you probably didn't do it to score a basket. You just probably were stuck and just needed to get rid of the ball. But it's just not looking good for the Celtics. Hopefully, Ime Udoka can solve the problems. Hopefully, the problems get solved. They get back to winning ways. It's still early on to the season. They can easily turn it around. But, yeah, I'm... If you're a Celtics fan, which Celtics fans, you are the most positive bunch of people in Boston sports. I don't know how you can be positive with this team and the attitude and where they're trending right now because this is not what the Celtics should be at 2-5. and five. And we all thought getting rid of Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, all those players that we thought were problems. There's too much talent on the team. Well, guess what? You've been left with the two draft picks that you thought you were going to trade for a better superstar like Anthony Davis and so on. Well, you're stuck with those two right now, and those two are butting heads. So I don't know what direction this team's going to be going in, but hopefully they turn around just like that because I've been absolutely appalled watching Celtics games, and it's actually made me not want to watch a Celtics game anymore. series concluding last night with the Braves winning it in six games to the Houston Astros I think this is the perfect time to wrap up the Red Sox season and the Red Sox actually surprised me this year um, this was a team that was slated to win 80 games be in fourth place in the division not even sniff the wild card and this team won 92 games got the wild card beat the Yankees in a wild card game, beat the Rays in the divisional series. They came up short against the Houston Astros, but the Boston Red Sox did better than what they were expected to. And, you know, I just have to say, you know, that's great because I think the Red Sox did one thing that I didn't think they were ever going to do, but they brought the city of Boston 
back to baseball. And with two disappointing years, third place in 2019, no playoffs, no wild card. 2020, it was a COVID year, yeah, but they absolutely just tanked the season. Last place in the league. So it just wasn't a really, really good spot, if you would say. I mean, they made some decent signings this year with Kyle Bloom's first real free agency. I mean, they hit on Kike Hernandez and Hunter Renfro. Great regular seasons for them. Kike had a good postseason. And, but they also missed on a few starting pitchers. Garrett Richards for one, $10 million for that guy was absolutely horrible. Martin Perez brought back again. Eh, didn't look so good either. Um, I think Garrett, Kime Bloom's biggest hit this year was getting Garrett Whitlock from the Rule 5 draft off the Yankees. And to have Whitlock end the Yankees season in the wildcard game was just absolutely beautiful. So uh, it was a good season for the Red Sox. Good for them. I think right now, thinking about next season, it's going to be an interesting offseason for Kime Bloom. And he's going to have interesting decisions to make. Um, the first big one is obviously, will Kyle Schwarber be back? And I think Kyle Schwarber was an excellent trade looking back on it. At the time, we didn't think it was. Schwarber couldn't even get on the field for the first 10 games he was here. And to have Schwarber finally come back and be that big bat that secretly you kind of needed, Schwarber gave you a great leadoff bat, or if he batted second against a lefty, he gave you a good bat and you knew he was always going to get on base. So obviously I think Schwarber should be back, but if Schwarber's going to be back, that's going to have to make J.D. Martinez opt out. And you kind of do want J.D. Martinez to opt out because that frees up so much cap space for the Red Sox. And let's just use that money to re-sign Devers or get back Aguardo Rodriguez and also get Kyle Schwarber back. So Schwarber's definitely a big question mark whether they bring him back. I would love for them to bring him back. I think he's a great, he has a great attitude. He can definitely hit well in Fenway. He's, he looked really good in Fenway hitting. And that all depends on if J.D. Martinez opts out. It looks like it's trending that he might, but you never know with J.D. Martinez. We thought he was going to opt out last year after a bad year. But, you know, he had a really good year this year, better than last one. So... It all depends on J.D. Martinez. I hope he opts out, and hopefully Kyle Schwarber comes back with the money you got from J.D., and Schwarber is your regular D.H. I think the big piece that the Red Sox need to add is bullpen help, and that clearly shows. I mean, Garrett Whitlock was the closer at the end of the season when Garrett Whitlock was just stated just to be another guy in the bullpen, and when you have guys like Adam Ottavino who looked good in the regular season but just struggled towards the end because... He couldn't find the strike zone with his control of pitches. And you have Matt Barnes, who was an absolutely great player in the first half of the season. He was an all-star. And your closer, who was locked down with the fastball and breaking ball, to see him go downhill from there in the second half of the season, he wasn't even on the playoff roster for the ALCS. It just shows how bad the bullpen has been managed. About the two moves Kyle Blue made in the trade deadline to get Hansel Robles and Austin Davis as bullpen depth didn't work out for him. I mean, Hansel Robles looked good for the Yankees and Rays series, and then he fell down in the Astros series. So they're going to need bullpen help. I don't know what Garrett Whitlock's going to be next year. I don't know if he's either going to be in the starting rotation or he's going to be in the bullpen again. I would love Whitlock to be a setup man. If the Red Sox can get a real closer, that'd be good. I don't know if Kyle Bloom wants to pay that money. 
for a closer because he came from the Tampa Bay Rays, so I don't know if Kyle Bloom knows, but the Red Sox do have a big budget, and they're in a big market, so Kyle, you can actually spend money this year. Hopefully you do splash out the cash. But I just don't know if Kyle wants to invest $15 million in a closer out there in the market. And they need some more bullpen help for the 7th and 8th inning. If Whitlock's going to control one of those innings, then you need another 8th inning guy because I don't know if Matt Barnes can return to where he was, and I'm kind of done with Adam Ottavino. I think it was a decent one-year rental you got from the Yankees, and I think that's all you need from Adam Ottavino. So the Red Sox need some bullpen help. First base is a big question. If they bring Schwarber back, do you put him at first base or do you just play him in the outfield? Because... Schwarber's experience at first base has been hit or miss. He's made some bad errors, and he's also made some good plays. So I just don't know what the first base thing is. They do have Tristan Casas in AAA right now, and he's absolutely crushing in it in the Arizona Fall League. So hopefully we'll see where Casas is next year because I think he looks like he's going to be trending as the Red Sox first baseman for 2023. But... I do want to say that even though the Braves absolutely did a great job in the World Series against the Astros and they won it in six, it kind of feels like the Red Sox missed their opportunity to win the ALCS and move on to the World Series. It just felt like a missed opportunity. And if you look at games one through three, they had leads going into the late innings. I'm not going to even talk about games two and three because they blew out those games. But if you look at game one and four specifically, having leads late in and then having the bullpen ruin the lead and absolutely blowing it, it just felt like those were two games that were winnable and the Red Sox blew it. And then in games five and six, even four, the offense doesn't do anything. The Red Sox only scored three runs in games four through six. It's like the bats went cold and It just feels like they missed a good opportunity to go back to the World Series. Now, we never know what would happen. Um, It's all coulda, woulda, shoulda. What if? If the Red Sox even got to the World Series, would they have won it? I don't know. I mean, this Braves team has looked really good, and it's a great story that they got going on after losing their best player in Ronald Acuna Jr. in in the summer. And they come back, win the division, beat the Dodgers, and the Astros to win the World Series. That's a great story. So I don't know if the Red Sox would have either lost in the World Series or who knows, they could have won it. But it just feels like a real big missed opportunity for the Red Sox to have such a good chance 2-1 up in Game 4 and they blow it in Game 4 due to some questionable bullpen decision from Alex Cora. It just feels like another missed opportunity for the Red Sox to go back to the World Series. But, you know, I think you can't knock them for too much for that. It was still a good season. And I think if you're a Red Sox fan, you should be positive for next year. If they do add some good bullpen help, see what they do at first base, Schwarber, all of that, it feels like they're trending in the right direction. My only concern is, once again, Kyle Bloom, will he invest it in the right department? And will he spend the money the Red Sox have on good players? Obviously, the luxury tax has a big thing that the Red Sox have been trying to avoid to go over. Let's see if that's time for them to do that. But it's going to be an interesting offseason for the Red Sox. And obviously, baseball offseason takes about like seven years to 
end up for anybody to sign for a team. So I guess we really have to see what happens in February or March where there's teams at. So it's going to be a long time to wait for some baseball to come back again. But the Red Sox brought baseball back, and they finally have a good showing. So hopefully next year is a good season. Let's see if they're going to make it back to the ALCS. I, for one, don't think they will because I just don't think they're capable of it. We'll see what the signings they do. But right now, you should be happy if you're a Red Sox fan. go on to two new segments that I'm going to introduce here. First one, it's going to be called Howie of the Week, playing on the name of the podcast. Howie of the Week is basically my award to the best Boston sports player of the week. And the first recipient of the Howie of the Week award goes to Adrian Phillips for his two key interceptions against the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Great plays made by him. And he made another good play to secure the onside kick, I don't think it's going to show up, but he had a good block against one of the Chargers for Hunter Henry to be easily open to catch the ball. So congrats to you, Adrian Phillips. You are the first winner of the Howie of the Week, and you always will be the first winner of the Howie of the Week. So that's going to be the next trivia award. And we're going to have our next award, which is going to be Selly of the Week. Selly of the Week is where we look at the best celebrations throughout sports. And this week's recipient of the Selly of the Week Award is going to be Matt Judon for that sack against Justin Herbert. I don't know what that celebration is. He kind of wipes his mouth with his arm, and then he does a little arm drag. I don't know what that is, but it looks cool. It gets me amped up that he got the sack. So you know what? You get the Selly of the Week Award, Matt Judon. So congrats to you two, and I uh, hope you actually care about those awards. Before we end this episode, I just want to address something. Um, we did lose a pretty big figure in the Boston sports media world this past Sunday, and that it was uh, Jerry Remy passed away at the age of 68, battling cancer. Um, Jerry Remy was honestly one of the best announcers that we had in Boston. I mean, I can't think of a Red Sox game without him. And uh, if you don't know who Jerry Remy is, uh, Jerry Remy was born and raised in Massachusetts. He played about seven or ten seasons with the Red Sox. And after retiring, he became the Red Sox announcer for about three decades, announcing Red Sox games for Nesson. And he's been honestly a great figure. He always gave the best attitude, great enthusiasm. You learned a lot from him when watching Red Sox games. And I just can't think of Red Sox baseball without him. And it's absolutely unfortunate to see him gone i'm glad he got one last moment at fenway park when he threw out the first pitch of the wild card game against the yankees so that was a great gesture by the red sox um it was especially good for if you were in attendance of that game to see him in person one last time before he goes but it just a uh, heartbreaking news to wake up to that on a uh, sunday to 
hear that. So our hearts goes out to the Remy family, to his wife, to his kids, because we lost an absolute legend. So Jerry, I'm hope hoping you're doing much better now, that you don't have to battle cancer anymore, but you'll always be in our hearts. So thank you for all you've done. So that's going to do it for me for the first episode of the How We Doing podcast. Make sure to like, comment, share, and subscribe for more episodes. I really want to hear your feedback about this first episode. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you didn't like because I actually care about your feedback. I want to make this a better learning experience for you guys. So please tell me what you didn't like so we can make this a better listening experience for all of you. If you want to stay in touch with me, follow me on Instagram at Lee underscore 13 to keep to keep up when the next episode's coming out or when I'm going to post my next article. And if you're going to follow me, you might as well follow the Amherst Wire at Amherst Wire on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, AmherstWire.com. If you want to check out some good articles that you want to read about, it's up on the website. If you want to listen to some good podcasts going on, we got a lot of good podcasts going on right now at the Amherst Wire. So if you want to listen to that, go ahead. We got a lot of podcasts about food, anime, books, politics, and much more. So if you want to listen to a better podcast, more well-established podcast than this one, go do that yourself. But anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll see you guys in a bit. Peace.